247 podcast we are welcoming back some old friends no not any previous guests uh but some old segments we've got tweet of the week quote of the week coming up i feel like we haven't done this in what like three weeks it's been a while should we have done two extra to make up for a time lost i thought you were going to bring out predict the presser last week for media day but oh uh, my god i'm sorry i'm sorry we missed that one yeah that oh that entirely slipped my mind you might finish the season with a one-point lead i know i took a knee that's great we uh, we're gonna do that in Arizona. Can't wait. You were not gonna be there in Arizona, but we will have one for predict the media day. All right. Okay. Very good. Uh, moving on. Back here on a Monday, previewing early signing period. Everything is gonna hit the fan, good and bad, on Wednesday. It's exciting. It's it's the first time ever. Um, not as exciting as quote of the week and tweet of the week coming back, but we're gonna hit on that media day leftovers. We met with a number of Penn State coaches and players on Friday. You know, we've written about that. I'll have more coming this week. Little Penn State hoops, and then get back to the mailbag questions. So, natural starting place is recruiting. But I think if I'm bringing up the old friends, we got to start with quote of the week, tweet of the week. Always nice to go back to the old friends. Tweet of the week, Monty at Monty underscore Color Man, which was a name that I loved, and you had no idea what I was talking about. But obviously, Monty, the best color man in baseball at a major league, uh, courtesy of Bob Euchre. Um, said that since December 15th, 2015, Star Wars movies released three, Cleveland Brown wins one. And I, I, know, I know you're a big Star Wars guy. I, I have read this easily 20 times, and I am still laughing. I'm, I'm going to amend that. I'm, I'm a Star Wars enthusiast, but I think, you know, big Star Wars guy, you've you got to be up there and know all your facts and have probably a poster or two on your walls. I, I don't get that far, but... Um, when I walked in tonight, you were dressed like a Jedi, so... Okay, well, you know, it, it's known as a stormtrooper, but you were close. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> anyway, um, so that's just incredible. The Cleveland Browns continue to suck, um, but that's really nothing new. I mean... Yeah, unfortunate if the only Penn State connection here largely is Carl Nassib, who's been starting for them at times this year. Um, just a mess of a franchise. Let go their GM recently, not even two years into the job. Understand that you might not be happy with the direction, but... When you're take, undertaking a house, like you don't quit once you're only partway through. The big question I have is, are they the team that nabs Saquon Barkley in the draft next year? Because they have so many problems, and I don't think the running backs are bad. I mean, Isaiah Crowell, Duke Johnson, who's a running back receiver type guy. So I think you look elsewhere, and you know, if you're Barkley, I think that's, that, that would be something you want to hear is you know, not going to Cleveland. Well, here's the part about that, because you might not want to go there, but they have the best chance to land you. And it's not because they're likely to take a running back with the number one pick, but they have another pick that's going to fall in the top ten because the Texans are coming after them in terms of suck territory, because they got housed in Jacksonville yesterday, and they own the Texans' first-round pick because uh, the Texans were able to unload Brock Osweiler on them. Well, the Texans could use their two best players, which they don't have. And I, I you know, I, I'm a Bill O'Brien as, guy. As of late, no, yeah. no knocking Bill O'Brien. What I'm but, saying is they're going to have a low draft pick, and that draft pick will go to the Browns, who right. then could take Barkley at, you know, right now projections have that between about five and eight. Yeah, Rick Smith has not done a great job there. Um, but uh, getting back into college football, if you're Barkley, uh, you know, there are better landing spots than Cleveland. And that's why, you know, I argue – you know, being a top five pick as a running back, I mean, what are you going into? I mean, it, I think it was a little bit different with Zeke Elliott because he was walking into a situation with an offensive line. I mean, right oh now God. Cleveland doesn't have it. They're, they're, you know, if you're up there that high, 
you know, Cleveland isn't going to be the, the place you're looking to. And we know at this stage that there have been hints dropped. I mean, basically, they've already made plans for moving on from Barkley. He's going to go to the NFL draft. You know, it's essentially about dotting I's and crossing T's at this point. Even James himself was saying he, he was discussing, you know, with the running backs about how the carries are going to be split up. And they presumed to him next year that it will fall all on Miles, just as it has a Saquon this year. And that brings us to quarter of the week. Not specifically about the carries, but... Miles Sanders was made available at the same media day we spoke to James, and the question I think he got easily a half dozen times, which also, sidebar that no one cares about, but you will understand, uh, there were so many new people at that media day who I've never seen all season, who coincidentally just happened to be asking the dumbest questions. <laughs> like, the, it, what is going on? What, I'm, I'm sorry I missed it. I, truly, I, I missed media day. I was home with my, my sick kid, and uh, oh, it's, okay. it's really too bad. I mean, it's uh, it was a shame. But you know, we, we we were we were informed what advice Saquon had for Miles Sanders. Yes, this was good. So the quote of the week brought to you by Miles Sanders, who we will be talking about all spring and all summer. Quote again: What advice did you get from Saquon? Quote: He told me to leave him some records. End quote. What a nice, humorous, but still humble. Uh, Saquon delivering through Miles, who apparently he has been talking to since he was a freshman, saying, you are destined for big things here. Keep plugging along. Well, he's a talented guy, and that's the thing. I mean, when he came in, he was the number one running back in the country uh, by 24-7 sports. And, you know, you can chop up the top five and go in any which way, but Miles Sanders was a phenomenally talented back, a guy who didn't have a huge workload in high school, but at the same time went down to Under Armour, competed with uh, you know the, the top in the class, and he looked like the best running back there. You just go into a situation when you're behind the you know one of the best running backs in the world so um you know it was uh, a situation where sanders probably took a step back when he came in um the talent has always been there it's been you know a little bit upstairs he had trouble holding on to the football trouble not playing you know things like that as any five-star freshman would have um but uh he, he rounded himself off he came around the second half of the season this year i thought he looked really good so um, you know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, you're losing an all-world player in Barkley, but at the same time, you're not going to take as big of a step back as you would in a lot of different places. Right. Moving on. Recruiting. Oh, it is recruiting. Big it day is. coming up. Yeah. Uh, the first ever December signing day and first ever high school December signing day. JUCO's been doing it for years. Um, pretty cool thing. I mean, with the rule change, uh, I know some people have been outspoken against it. I think Nick, Nick <laughs> Saban. Yeah, Nick Saban. He's, he's came talked out to all to, of the coaches, and none of them are thrilled. Talked about to every this. single coach in the world, and all of them hate it um, because he tells them to. Um, but <laughs> no, it's um, there's good and bad, and I think given this, the the uh, what we've seen in the coaching realm this year with all the coaching changes, and they're not done yet. I mean, there's going to be assistants going other places. There's going to be you know head coaches that might you know sneak up on another job or something like that, or go to the NFL. So. Um, that that obviously leaves some kids in limbo, but at the same time, I mean, from from a Penn State standpoint, I think it's a fairly solid thing because you know there's not a lot of turnover in this class, other than you know the guys that they had to dump, uh, you know, earlier in the cycle. You know, it's there's good, there's bad, there's there's never going to be a perfect formula here. There's not. Let me touch on the bad because, of course, we're going to go to all the good. Penn State, you know, James is a fan of the early signing period. I think it allows them to put their class to bed a little bit earlier. The bad, though, comes when you have schools who are in bowls that really kick off bowl season. So we had some over the weekend. We're going to have more in the coming days, days soon thereafter. Because these bowl practices, while mostly purpose for getting younger guys developed, you have the GAs lead them. You know, you're also preparing for a game that's supposed to 
be this big end highlight of your year. And even if it's just, you know, again, we've had the, the Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl, we've had we've had the Beefo Brady's Bowl, things that, you know, in name only don't seem to have a whole lot of value. Listen, it's one more chance to play with your boys. It's one more chance to go out and win. And for some of the guys, their last debut before they want to go pro. So the coaches, however, are not able to be a part of these practices because when you're weighing a couple of practices for one game, particularly if you had a down year and you're a lesser bowl than you expected, they're just going to go and recruit. And in some instances, for some of the reading that I've done about these schools that, are, again, are playing in these bowls, they've only had two, three, maybe four coaches at these practices. I mean, how do you feel for your players who are in the building, who have pin in the, put in the work in the offseason, been through all the games, fought their injury, and there, in the biggest moment of your season, your coaches are not there to help you prepare? How dare you besmirch the bad boy... Gasparilla Bowl, a bad boy mower's Gasparilla Bowl. I mean, yeah, I am not going to take on. any offense there, or, or I'm not going to feel any, any. Uh... I, Penn State's coaches have been on the road pretty much all December, and you, you saw it last year when they had to take the extra week to play in the Big Ten title game, which is, you know, it's a fair trade there. But you know, if you're playing in a bowl game right now, you're worried about signing day, you're worried about playing on December 26th, and you're worried about going on the road. I mean, that's. A, that's a lot to deal it's with. It's just too much, I think. I think it is. Yeah, you're right. And it comes at the cost of the guys who were only going to be here for a few years, namely the players. Right. And particularly those that, you know, again, if they've only cracked the starting lineup or the two deep their junior or senior year, and now your coaches aren't even here because of the guy who's going to come replace you eventually, I mean, that just seems like a raw deal. But nonetheless, uh, we do have some news pertinent to Penn State. Judge Culpepper originally going to enroll early. That is no longer the case. But there is uh, another out-of-stater who will take his place. Yeah, Judge Culpepper is not going to come in early. Um, his parents want him to, to enjoy his senior year. He's going to sign on Wednesday. Uh, so really not much to worry about there. He wasn't an early impact guy. He's going to be defensive tackle for Penn State. and He's about 255, 260 pounds right now. Um, so he's a long way from seeing the field. So on the field, you know, you'd like to get that extra semester in. I mean, he's, he's a 4.1 student or something like that. So academically, he should have no problem adjusting to college. But, uh, um, you know, Trent Gordon is a guy that actually, I think we originally said he was coming in January and just forgot. I looked through my text last week. He told me back in April, he was coming in January and I'm like, Oh, how long did it take you to find that? Probably should have written this down. Well, it's funny because every time I go to search for him, I uh, search for his number or or something like that. I search for snow because he told me that, um, you know, when he was up for his visit last year before he committed, that you just needed to avoid the snowflakes. Uh. So, uh, Texas guys, that's crazy. Um, but no, getting uh, getting Trent Gordon in January is good. A um, couple of meanings there of snowflakes, <laughs> which, which you're looking to avoid. Anyway. Talking uh, Texas He's here. from Texas, so... Uh, <laughs> Believe White it stuff that. on the ground. Um, but uh, Trent Gordon's a guy you liked. I know you looked yes. at this film right away. Um, coming from a great program in Texas, one of the top programs in, te- in the Houston area, um, coming in early. Uh, this is potentially a guy that, you know, although opportunity may not be abound at cornerback, there's a guy that can, can he's a good football player. He can crack the depth chart. Well, and here's the thing about, you know, again, if it, it's going to be so crunched at corner, there's going to be an opportunity at safety for him because that's where he's been playing in high school. I mean, he's got a very heady game to him. He's physical when he needs to be, obviously athletic, a little bit long. And, and those skills, of course, play well at corner, but he can bounce between the two. So I think down the road, if he's able to, you know, stay on top of those skills and sharpen them simultaneously, he could be one of the more valuable members of this Penn State secondary down the road because, to be honest, if you want to look at one of the weaker points of the secondary, I'm not talking about Troy Apke as a whole. But when he was forced into man coverage and they're playing some cover one, he gave up multiple touchdowns this this season 
in that exact assignment. I think a guy like Trent Gordon, who's got experience and, and ability at both positions, wouldn't be as much of a weakness in that role potentially if he's going to play safety. Yeah, and they've been, they've shown they're not afraid to move guys over there. Nick Scott uh, played a little bit of corner before he moved to safety. They moved Imani over uh, in a situation that really didn't work out too well and mm-hmm. moved him back to corner. So the possibility is there. You know that 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 hierarchy that hierarchy corner to safety, safety to linebacker, and, and so forth. Uh, they they can move some guys. Um, and you touched on it. Isaiah Humphreys is now the only safety in this class. So, you know, Gordon, with yes. the versatility that he has, Jordan Miner, a, a guy that's coming in next summer from Florida, he's a little bit longer. Um, you know, he's not the straight line speed guy, but at the same time, he's good he's ball athletic. skills. Yeah. I mean, they've got three guys back there that, that could play safety. So, um, you know, losing a Sheem Young or the talent of a Sheem Young, uh, certainly hurts, but, I think they'll be okay there. I think they'll be okay in 2019 with safety as well. So, um, so, so I think I think you're right. You brought, you brought up a good point. The the more versatility you can get back there, the more length you can get back there. You know, you got a shot to to find yourself some players, and it really doesn't matter where they end up playing as long as you know they're at the top of your depth chart. Penn State's taking a hit at safety. It looks like a hit to their hopes on the defensive line has been taken as well. Tyreek Smith now trending almost fully towards Ohio State. Yeah, Tyreek Smith is a guy that Penn State, you know, thought they had a, a really good uh, posi- thought they were in a really good position with, brought him in for the official visit, which you would think would seal the deal. Um, but at the end of the day, that was not the case. Um, I have him going to Ohio State now. I don't see that changing. He's going to announce on January 4th. And, um, you know, is, is this one completely done? You never say that in recruiting, but I'm, I'm not betting on that one coming back around. So a uh, big loss for Penn State. Uh, Tyreek Smith was a guy that they saw as a, as a defensive end who could eventually move into a three-technique tackle. Raw kid in the sense that, you know, he's only been playing football for a couple of years, but in those few years he, he has made leaps and bounds in terms of his development. So I think Ohio State's going to get him. I think Ohio State's getting a good one, and, you know, they continue to do phenomenally in Columbus in terms of recruiting. And here's the deal with situations like those. In retrospect, you know, fans and people who follow me recruiting go, Okay, he's a Cleveland kid. You know, he was always going to go there. This was a, a loss of effort, a poor pursuit. We mentioned this in the podcast multiple times. He's not originally from Cleveland, so this was an open recruitment, a legitimate one from Penn State's perspective. It just happens to go this way sometimes. And it was, and, and I've heard some people imply that when Brenton Cox, who's a five-star defensive end from Georgia, when he decommitted from Ohio State, that Tyreek Smith, uh, you know, moved up the board or or the Buckeyes started pushing a little harder. That's not the case. Ohio State's been going full bore after him for a long time. Hosted him for an official in October, had him back on a, for an unofficial in November, which is uh, really one of the things that opened my eyes when when looking back on his recruitment. This could have been a turning point. So um, tough one for Penn State. I mean, this is one that they, they thought they were in a really really good position. Um, I don't know if they read the tea leaves wrong or whatnot, but uh, it just didn't end up happening that way. Recruiting man. Um, nothing has changed though. It seems like with Michael Parsons though, he was down at Georgia recently. He had an in-home with James. I believe uh, Brent Pry was there too. And you know, it, it seems like again, as far as the crystal ball goes, a Penn State lock. That's what the crystal ball says. But uh, if you followed Michael Parsons' recruitment at all, you would know there's no such thing as a lock with uh, with him. So, but you know, I, I still like where Penn State goes uh, or stands right now. He's still at his Georgia official visit as we record on Sunday night. So, you know, maybe we'll know more in the morning or whatnot. But uh, right now, I mean, you know, Penn State, uh, it, it's, it's been looking good for a while. It's been looking like he would come back around since he had that sort of epiphany after the Ohio State weekend, which he had a little help getting getting there. But, uh, you know, I think it's a, it's a situation where this is this is basically the, the main storyline going into Wednesday. I mean, Penn State 
wants him. They want to put him at linebacker. They know that he can be a you know a disruptive guy all over the field. They know what kind of talent he has, no doubt about it. I mean, this is everyone does since day one. I mean, everybody knows that that Micah Parsons is a phenomenal football player. Um, you know, he's he, I think he's toned it down a little bit um, in terms of social media and all that kind of stuff. But uh, um, you know it. it I'd say Penn State would be taking a chance here. And at the same time, I mean, with a player like that, you got to take some chances like that sometimes. Well, and I think, too, it's a perfect story for them from a perspective of they have a need at linebacker. If he's going to be willing to fill that role, you could slot him in early. I mean, there's no way you can recruit him and say, yeah, we're looking for you to take a redshirt because he would have a number of other schools that say, yeah, we'll we'll pop you right in. And quality schools, too, because that's just a lot of them have. They've told him running back. They've told him receiver, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, top five kid nationally per the composite ranking. So, um, you know, he's in a good, you know, a a decent spot. I think coming off this Georgia official, you know, when, when contact, you know, seemingly broke off with Ohio State I think that loses some leverage on his part of course but you're never really totally at a loss when you have the the rankings that he does and for Penn State you know not only were they able to take some more time and gain some of that leverage back but there's also an element of need and that really would would makes his in addition to the distance because we brought that up a number of times it's not going to go too far um Apparently, we think we will yeah. find out. <laughs> um, He's the potential to make us look really right, stupid right. This week. But you know, for, for everything right now, the way it's trending seems to be a good match. Yeah, I think so. Um, and and he can play linebacker. He can play a couple different linebacker spots. I know the people are going to say, "Well, Penn State has had trouble getting to the quarterback. Why not throw him at defensive end?" There's no reason you can't throw him down there and say, you know, come off the edge at times playing linebacker. So um, just just get him in the fold, get him in, and and he's a potential. Uh, and I say potential because you never know with Micah, but uh, January enrollee, if you can get him on a campus, all of a sudden you've got Jesse Lukita, Nick Tarburton, and Micah Parsons, potential linebackers on campus. Penn State needs numbers at linebacker. They need talent at linebacker. So that's sort of a perfect fit right there. So, um, you know, it's one of those things where – it's the big storyline, and, and if Micah Parsons were to sign with Penn State on Wednesday, that's three five stars. I mean, that's that's a pretty good haul right there. So Justin Schroeder, Ricky Slade, five stars by the twenty four seven composite. Micah Parsons, the number four player in the country. Penn State currently with the number five class in the country, number two class in the Big Ten. That's not changing. They're not passing Ohio State, but uh, you know it's a it's a, been a pretty good effort in this twenty eighteen class. Speaking of Ohio State, Jason Owe has named the Buckeyes and Penn State. As his final two, we've talked to, or we've talked about the two of the big three, and I can't believe I forgot to go with with OA. But yeah, um, Ohio State, Penn State's coming down to them. It's no secret whatsoever. Uh, it's a really interesting dynamic here, as he he's potentially signing on December twentieth, but he wants to announce at the Under Armour game on January fourth. What does that mean? I, I don't really know because it, it's such an interesting dynamic. We've never seen this before. How dare you? We, yeah, we've never recruiting seen recruiting expert Sean Fitz in the. Uh, Take the air quotes down, man. Um, we we've never seen this before because of the De- December signing period, where you know you sign on the dotted line, and usually, I mean, that's something where the, the fax goes through and the school notifies, you know, at least puts it out there right away. So this is something different. I mean, this would essentially have a school sitting on a letter of intent for two weeks, which is crazy to think about. Um, with with how things leak these days, uh, I, I have a tough time seeing him making that far. And I don't know if that will change his mindset. This is a kid that's uh, become very enamored with the process. He's he's really opened himself up to Twitter, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. And he's, he's very popular on there as well, which is sort of a 180 from where he started during the process. So that adds an added dynamic where, you know, Ohio State and Penn State have used their head coach visits 
But if he doesn't sign in December, they've got all January. Whoever doesn't get his verbal declaration on the 4th, if he doesn't sign, the other school can come after him all month. So um, I think there's a couple different levels to that, and it's something we're going to learn about the process uh, you know, as it goes through this first time. I think at least either if you're Penn State or Ohio State, though, the fact that you were down to two – you know, uh, very obviously seems to be a good thing for the both of them because then the conversation becomes far simpler. I mean, you're not likely discussing the other school a whole lot, but you're able to drive home the facts of either, you know, we were here first or these are the opportunities we'll be able to have. And then I think for him, though, following his recruitment, you mentioned there's been a change in dynamic. You know, the relationship with both of them has been steady. But if if time passes after December 20th, there's a new element in the table in terms of the defensive alignment that, that they'll have signed. Is that something that will affect his choice, you think, ultimately, if it goes a little bit longer than Wednesday? I think more so on Ohio State's side than on Penn State's side. I mean, Penn State has obviously gone all in with, you know, with Owe, with Parsons, with Tyreek Smith. I don't see them moving on. You know, Tyler Friday is still out there, so that's a guy you could circle around to in January, potentially get on campus for an official visit. But, you know, Ohio State has just been recruiting at another level. I mean, this is the top class in the country, um, going to be, you know, finishing the top three. Um, so, you know, is there, they always seem to pull a surprise guy here or there. And, you know, sometimes that's on the defensive line. So um, we'll see. I, I think it would impact Ohio State more in that sense because Penn State's not filling up in terms of, you know, going after another elite guy, whereas Ohio State, you know, probably has the prowess to do so right now. Okay. The next time we will be able to speak with the coaches as we did on Friday, we'll be shortly following that time and see what they thought of how their class went um, and the class they've been able to build. But in the meantime, chatting with Ricky Ronnie, the first time he was an offensive coordinator, I, I know you weren't there. I thought he handled himself very well. Um, he got, you know, the, I don't want to say, they're more expected questions if you're on the beat because it's almost become a running joke, but they were delivered in all seriousness. Questions about going under center and using a fullback. Uh, those were promptly shot down. In fact, Ronnie said if he had an opening statement, he would have shot them down first before they had even <laughs> become airborne. Uh, that all aside, you know, he... I think struck a nice balance between there's they've obviously got this great thing going from everything that Joe Moore had brought about, right? I mean, it's not only just the system, but it's the mentality that he instilled with all the confidence and we're going to go out and do this and rank atop the Big Ten, win a Big Ten championship. He wants to continue that, but also put his own um, spin on it. And, and he didn't open up so much about what that spin will be. I don't think, honestly, he's been able to give it much thought beyond the thoughts you might have as an assistant who's waiting to become a coordinator someday because we just mentioned it. All the recruiting He's been all over the map the last week or two. You know, he's stepping into a new role, but they're game planning for an opponent that they're very unfamiliar with. So, you know, I, I thought he did well. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, how he uses his time in the spring. Because, again, you want to keep together the concept that you've used. He says he's very happy with it and he wants to adopt some of more head strengths. But, of course, you know, this is your shot. And you, you've got to shoot it the way you want to and the only way you know how. Yeah, and, and you mentioned recruiting. He's been on the road. He's been all over the place. He was out in Phoenix last week to see Solomon Enos. He was, you know, out uh, you know, checking out Ricky Slade and Justin Shorter. Just been all over the map. These guys committed to that old offense. And old, by, by, by old, I obviously mean Joe Moorhead. So you want to continue to sell these guys. That, hey, this is something similar very similar to what you know you signed on to do or what you're well he to even told on. us that you know because the message now he said is you know we asked what's your message to the recruits he goes the same ones that i've been giving you guys it's the same system like everything that was promised to them has not changed right and that's the way to go i mean 41 yeah. points a game that's the way to go so yeah i mean it's sort of just keeping the consistency um you know going i don't know 
that the, the personalities are perfectly parallel between he and Joe Moorhead, but no. there's, there's a lot of similar, you know, laid back, you know, crack a joke here and there. It's, it's kind of different than what we've seen from some other coaches that have come through. So, um, so I think there's some similarities there. Um, when you're going to sell the offense, you just stay on the same track, and I think that's what he's been doing. Yeah. So he, he you know, he impressed. He was open. He was honest. And you know, we even talked uh, about his days playing quarterback at Cornell, and he says, "What kind of player were you?" He's like, "Honestly, my my strengths were probably as you'd expect for a guy who went up as a coach." adjusting protection, seeing blitzes, <laughs> you know, maybe it was just out of fear. I didn't really want to get hit. So um, I wrote about him this week. You can find that on the site. And, you know, basically the biggest hit of his career is coming. So how is he going to adjust? And that, that answer is not going to come in the Fiesta Bowl. I think it'll be a great test because it's a great defense. And we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, but Brent Pry, I mean, we started with Ricky Browning, but the big news circling around the coordinators was not the fact that Ronnie got it promoted. It was that Brent Pry was staying put because when we last recorded, it was maybe, maybe he's a defensive coordinator. Maybe he's a head coach at as you we were hundred percent confident as the time <laughs> as we reported first. Yes, yeah. um, no, getting him back is a big deal. Just you know, like we said, consistency. I mean, it's uh, Brent Prize has been successful over the last couple of years. You, you, it's good when your coordinators are brought up from head coaching jobs. It's even better when they come back and turn down head coaching jobs or or, or what have you. So uh, I think that's a big deal. Just just staying on that plane. They've got a lot of young players on that defense. Um, staying within that system, I, I mean, it's it, and it's funny because it's almost, you know, Brent Pry is is Ricky Ronnie a couple of years ago. I mean, you know, granted, Brent had a little bit more experience calling defense and stuff, but it was Bob Shoup's defense. He made some adjustments. He did his own thing and put and put his own hat on it. And now we'll get to see Ronnie do that. But back to Brent Pry, I think it's you know, it, it, the more you can keep these guys, the better. I don't think it's anything deep or insightful or anything from coming from me, but. Hey, keeping your guys is better than replacing them with somebody you don't know. It's keeping a good guy individually, but then also in the bigger picture, losing three coordinators after that season, I think would have been a real challenge. Whether they wanted to admit it or not, we're confident in our in-house candidates. They promoted in-house essentially twice with Phil Galliano and special teams and Ronnie, of course, the offensive coordinator. But you know, even if Tim Bake steps in, you got a new safeties coach. There's so much turnover that you would have to sift through in the spring as opposed to just continuing to roll things out. I feel like offensively and defensively, they're not going to skip a beat because Ricky's so familiar with the tight ends and the quarterbacks whom he all recruited and coached, or at least you know, with respect to Trace McSorley and Tommy Stevens' coach um you know prior to 2016 so there's familiarity there brent price staying as you said it's, it's not too complicated this is a very good thing for penn state yeah now their thoughts on washington this was interesting because you know you come in always oh what are you seeing on film like you finally got a chance to sit down and you know both of them said the huskies don't really remind us of anyone this is very much a unique team and you can talk about scheme you could talk about some players Vita Vea, nose tackle, um, who I think I brought up maybe two episodes ago. I couldn't pronounce his name. Yeah, you made fun of me. Better than Stevie T. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. That guy was a monster, too. Right. Or, or do you want to take a shot at his last name? Not or? at all. No. Um, all right. Well, then I'm not going to stick my neck out there. But anyway, it's Steve, the reason I brought up Stevie T, the guy who played nose tackle for USC a year ago, is because Ryan Bates was the only one who came up in comparison for Vea, who was five, 340 pounds. Outside of being a giant human being, he's also quite quick and, and is great hand usage. So Ronnie talked about him, Ryan Bates talked about him, and everyone just got down to this a very impressive team. We don't know a whole lot about them, and they're grateful for the time that they'll be able to prepare because defensively, I don't think it's as complicated an offense, but offensively, you've got trades, you've got shifts, you've got motions, and they're so multiple that they're quite you know happy changing their identity from week to week. Yeah, and I think that's the and, – and watching a little bit more of Washington last year – 
I mean, they, they weren't killing you one way. I mean, this isn't a pass heavy. This isn't Washington State. They're not going to, you know, spread you out and pass you around. But, I mean, just a very balanced football team. And sometimes those are, you know, a little bit harder to prepare for just because you don't know what's coming. And it's easy to put scheme aside sometimes because when you look at the personnel that's executing, I mean, Jake Browning, a quarterback, can put it wherever he wants it. But when you've got weapons, when there's a real significant drop-off from Dante Pettis, again, you know, all-time leader for the NCAA in, in punt returns for touchdowns, he's bringing that kind of dynamic play to wide receiver, you can key on him and then feel free about your good one-on-one matchups elsewhere. And I asked Chris Campbell, I was like, okay, we know about Dante Pettis. Who else stands out? He goes, oh, really? That's about it. <laughs> so, you know, that tells you a lot, I think, about their passing attack. And you can say, listen, you can shift all you want. We just need to make sure we, we're playing, you know, our, our man-to-man coverage. And we've got, you know, a hat, you know, on a hat over here. And, and Miles Gaskin, obviously, is going to be a big problem in the backfield. But, you know, it, it, it will be interesting to see the chess match that unfolds early on. And we'll have more on that throughout the week. But they're very impressed with Washington. It's unfamiliar. Uh, but the names remembered are pretty much the same ones that we brought up earlier. And, you know, with Vita Vea, the other last thing that Ronnie brought up was angles, which is really intriguing to me that they feel like not only do we need to get double teams, but we've got to get them in the right place because otherwise they'll be useless. And then we're down a man elsewhere. Yeah. Um, there, there aren't a lot of angles that you can take on Vita Vea. I mean, he's he's, just, <laughs> he's massive. I mean, you got to go around him, I guess. But And you no. might be pulled in as like an orbit uh, yeah. around Vita Vea. He is that big. <laughs> he is huge. That, that was nice. I like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where they're solid across the board. And, and when you have a guy like that in the middle, especially with, uh, you know, playing against a young center like Connor McGovern, or, you know, if he's headed up on him, it, it changes things. You know, I think Penn State didn't struggle as much against multiple fronts this year as you would think, given how, you know, porous their offensive line was. Um, so they were quite good against odd fronts, Michigan, yeah, Michigan Nebraska, Maryland, of course. Out. Yeah. So I don't think that's the issue. Um, but, uh, you know, scheming for, for a big guy like that in the middle, you know, obviously you're going to have to take away from other places tackle. We still don't know about, and that's, that's one thing I know that you wanted to get to. Uh, we got, we see Will Fries on the depth chart at left tackle, Ryan Bates behind Chaz, right at right tackle. Uh, that's something very interesting that caught my eye. It was because you're watching the end of the Maryland game, but of course you're going to roll out, you know, your second stringers. Well, then among them is Ryan Bates and you go, okay, what the hell's going on? Because, you know, he was healthy enough or, or he wanted to dress for the final home game against Nebraska. Didn't take any snaps. And he plays about 13, I believe against Maryland, but he's taking it at right tackle. The decision, uh, Bates said, boiled down to not only is Will Flash playing really well left tackle, and you don't want to bounce a player between left and right over the course of a season, but it's better for his injury, which was something that came to mind for me at Maryland about that planning foot. Because if he's dropping back into his set as a right tackle, you know he's going to have a lot of his weight there on his right foot. Mm-hmm. The injured one is the left one. It's really the left ankle. It's been a problem. He referenced his knee a little bit too. So it helps him personally, and it allows Fries to continue to develop. Now, of course, the question is, well, in 2018, where, where is the offensive line going to be? Because prior to the last game against Maryland playing right tackle, and then this upcoming one at the Fiesta Bowl, Ryan Bates has only ever played in the left side, right. left guard, and the left tackle. I don't know the answer to that. Right now, honestly, I don't care about the answer to that, and I don't think Penn State does. I'm sure they have a guess, but they'll sort that out in the spring. In the meantime, that will be really interesting because not only is there Vita Vea to deal with in the interior, but you've got guys like Greg Gaines who are very good. They're two outside linebackers, good pass rushers. So it's going to be an issue, and I think you know, you're know you going to want to follow the ball. You're going to want to follow Saquon Barkley, but I'd be lying if I was, wasn't telling you I'm not going to watch Ryan Bates for those first three years and see how he holds up a right tackle. I think the good news is that Bates is talented enough to play on the right side. Um, so, you know, it help, It will help the development of Will Fries, who I think is probably your tackle for the next couple of years. So, um, you know, it's uh, it, it's 
a good problem to have in the long term, but in the short term, you don't know how it's going to play you out. You think he stays at the left? I don't know. See, I had I had Bates at the left side. Just to, you know, somebody asked me in my chat a couple weeks ago what was going on um, with what I think was going to be in the spring, and I had Bates on the left side. I had Fries on the right side. And said, so "What do you, what do you think about Fries on the left side?" It's possible, but these guys are versatile enough to make it happen. So I mean, right. it's going to be something where I think they pick, you know, they they play with in in the spring and go back to it. But I think those are your two tackles moving forward. You know, which side they end up on? Well, I guess we'll see. Right, like I said, doesn't matter right now. They got the whole spring to figure that out. The only interesting note about that, though, is we asked Bates, like, listen, where do you want to be? And he goes, oh, definitely left. Yeah. <laughs> like, I've only been there. It's where I've known. And Will Fries, you know, uh, has been the backup left tackle, though, for some time now. Even going back to last year when they were considering burning that redshirt. Right. Didn't happen, of course, but... Um, Too we'll many left tackles, you know. It's just yeah, such a problem. Real, real Penn State problem the last few years. Um, another Penn State team that is not... You know, has new problems on its hand, uh, Penn State basketball. However... We said multiple times, recording on a Sunday night, they just beat George Mason by 20, I believe, or 18, excuse me. They were up for at least 18 the entire second half and without Tony Carr. Yeah, Tony Carr, uh, I think, had announced early Sunday afternoon that he would not be playing. Minutes before tip-off. Yeah, that he would not be playing for a violation of team rules. Um, and, and, you know, far be it from me to know what that was. But, you know, to, for Penn State to go out and win by 18 without their best player, that's a good sign, right? Yeah, this was a game where Penn State was a 10.5-point favorite with Carr projected in the lineup. Seemingly that dropped. Uh, whoever's betting Penn State, George Mason basketball, you might want to get your life sorted out. But um, And thanks for listening. But. Yeah. <laughs> And, and presumably that dropped as, as that news came in, but he, he's been their best player, whether you want to just watch the games or you want to check the stat sheet where he's ahead in points, assist, three-point shooting, free-throw shooting, um, and really up there, you know, I think third-leading rebounder. I feel so, like that was a shot at me, <laughs> just checking the stats. Oh, no, that's, I don't know. You said you wanted to watch today. You couldn't. Almost. almost and to watch the Redskins almost lose. Um, didn't even get that, but anyway. <laughs> so... You know, <laughs> with Tony off the floor, though, it's interesting for me to see where they split up the minutes because, you know, he he's at one game, unspecified violation of team rules. Nazir Bostic had the same deal last weekend against George Washington when they played eight days ago. So, you know, again, no reason to speculate. It's short-term uh, suspension. Tony will be back on Tuesday. Bostic played 27 minutes. That was a career high. In between the span, I wrote about five things Penn State needs to do before it jumps back into Big Ten play. Because right now where they sit, 9-3 and three after this win, their season and their postseason hopes are going to be made or broken in conference play. That starts January 2nd against Maryland. So I had a win out is my number one thing. Number two was get Bostic and Jamari Wheeler going offensively. Because Bostic right now, again, we're going to look at some more advanced stats. I don't think you, you check in with Ken Palm very often. Uh, you know, I'm or you do and you don't I'm tell me that. I'm still stuck it. on your. They should go undefeated. That's a that's a heck of a coaching. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. Yeah. For the non-conference, okay. so you got to be George Mason. You got to be Binghamton. You got to be Ryder and Coppin State. Right. Okay. Coppin State has not won yet. Okay. This year. Okay. So they got to win out before they get to January second. And and Bostic, when he's on the floor to date the season, has been ending a higher rate of possessions than either Shep Garner or Mike Watkins. But he is producing as the second worst offensive player on the team. Now that's going to even it out and help out because Bostic is a guy you know who's not what those numbers reflect, and he can impact the game in multiple ways. He had six points uh, on six shots. His numbers minutes went up. Sheps went up to thirty-seven, and Wheeler, who I mentioned, they need to get more out of offensively. His numbers went up running that that point. I think this was a very valuable experience for them. Um, playing without Tony because he's really been giving them everything that they need and doing it at a high level. And outside of that, Satchel Pierce saw a couple of minutes for the first time in the last few games. 
they just need to get him to serviceable because he's just been terrible. And you need a big, again, behind Mike Watkins. And you don't even need Julian Moore or Satchel Pierce to step up. You just need them to, to complement each other so you don't cast either one of them to the end of the bench and say, okay, we'll see you in March. Yeah, just fill in minutes. I mean, right now they're just trying to cultivate some depth, which, you know, we saw a couple a couple of weeks ago they had zero zero points from their bench at one point. Yeah. I mean, it's just you, you got to work that out. Uh, you know, Wheeler – you know, is not going to be a guy that, that, that drops buckets inconsistently. But, you know, you, you get a few points from him here and there. He's okay. If you so. get the teams that just respect him right. and give a little bit more space to Tony, to Lamar Stevens, Mike Watkins. Stevens and Watkins both had double-doubles, by the way, first of the season for Lamar um, against George Mason. Then that does wonders. You know, if he can cut to the basket, and he's been taking open shots, which they want to see more out of him. But because Wheeler's the first guy off the bench for them, he doesn't, and they play him with Tony Carr so often, there's really no chance for Tony to sit. Like, their second-best lineup includes him, so you're not able to have him replace Tony as a true bench player. He's really been a sixth man. Yeah, you just need guys to give you minutes and, and produce when they're in there. And so far, you know, that's been a work in progress. And, you know, Mike Watkins isn't going to stay foul-free forever. So, you know, they're going to no. have to adjust for that all over the, through the five positions. Right. So it'll be interesting to see how they close out these three games. My last uh, couple of points were, you know, tinker with some lineups. Obviously couldn't do that with Tony out, but maybe go really small with Lamar at the five. <laughs> that was a, a lineup tinker. <laughs> You're not going to have Tony Carr out of the lineup, Yeah. So. Didn't like it. Well, that went well. Um, and then lastly, the three-quarters court press. I mean, they had a lot of success with it against George Mason, which was not a straw ball handling team. Um, but it, I think that's something they've got to continue to go back to because they're not a team that will beat you enough offensively in the half court. And if you can get those easy buckets, why not? Yeah, so they've been very good at it, and they've got to go back to that well. All right, to the mailbag. We've made it to the mailbag. Yes. We did. Um, linebacker funny. situation in 2018. Yeah, linebacker is a question that we've gotten a ton. You know, just a, There's so many questions, and I think it's still a work in progress. Manny Bowen, of course, not playing in the Fiesta Bowl. I don't think there's a ton of confidence that he'll be back next year. I mean, it's just one of those things that, uh, you know, suspended the last three games of the season, not being in the Fiesta Bowl. You just haven't heard a ton that would inspire confidence for him to be there. He was the guy that I was looking to as your potential Mike next year, and right. now you're going to have to replace him with someone else. So um, in terms of positions, I think it's it's pretty far up in the air. In terms of personnel, you have a general idea of what you're going to see. You're going to see Cam Brown and Koa Farmer probably as two of the starters, and, and guys like Ellis Brooks getting in there, young guy. Um, you know, and and I think that they're going to have to they're going to have to go to some youth. We mentioned the three linebackers potentially early in rolling, um, Jesse Lukita, Nick Tarburton, and potentially Micah Parsons. You're going to have to throw one or two of those guys in there and and, and see what happens. So um, it's an interesting situation. I think they're they're going to be fine in terms of uh, having bodies to throw out there this spring. Question marks and Jake Cooper, uh, Jarvis Miller continues to develop. So we'll see where he gets. So. It's just going to be one of those things where you're going to have to wait, sit back and wait. Um, you know, Cole Farmer, I think, is going to stay at the Sam, uh, yes. although we did see that Cam Brown was playing there at the end of the season. So um, I think those two are your, your guys that you look to right away. And does Brooks fill that spot? Can you get anything out of Jake Cooper? Uh, does Micah Parsons step in and play the Mike day one if he commits to Penn State? Hello. Plenty, plenty, of, plenty of question marks there. Um, it's, not a, it's not a group I'm entirely confident in next year. Um, but they're going to play around with enough combinations where you're going to see some athleticism out there, and I think that's what you're looking to. And, of course, it's a 4-2-5 defense, so we're not going to see a traditional you know, 4-3 look. Yeah, and, and you know, it's it's kind of 4-2-5. It's, it's, it's not. Um, it, but, and I chatted with Brent Pry about this a number of weeks ago. It's really just 
the reason you say four two five is because you treat that Sam linebacker as you label him instead as a star. So you've got an extra defensive back in there, but it's really just a linebacker with with safety quality. So it's a hybrid. But whether you want to say four two five or four three defense, the defense isn't changed. It's just your label. But the, who's playing it is a guy who who's treated as a linebacker when you face pro sets, but he's also capable to split out when you're going against three wides. Um, anyways, yeah, I'm my only thought on this is is obviously question marks, but. Ellis Brooks really intrigues me because he was a guy who jumped in late last year. You know, we had heard things about maybe could be a little bit better in the classroom. And then Brandon Smith is telling us at the end of the year that he's one of the most attentive kids in there and has really been impressing him from a preparation standpoint and physically has all the tools. So you're adjusting to the college game. You know, we all know what a year can do for a, a freshman coming in in the weight and conditioning program. What is he going to look like in the spring? Because I think whoever steps out there in place of Jason Gaminda and, and Brandon Smith and gets that early lead, that that will do wonders for when the freshmen are here, and then also you have more coming in in the summer. Yeah, he's banged up a little bit this year, but you know he's got the instincts. He's he's not the the most athletic guy on that other side, but he's he's a lot like Jason Cabinda. I mean, he's he's been a guy that's been in the right spot at times, and um, and I think he's a Mike all the way. And you know, looking at this roster, you need those type of guys. So um, I'm, I'm interested to see his progression. I still think that you know he could use. The entire you know spring and summer in the weight room and, and sort of get where he needs to be, um, but yeah, if you're going to go with a guy that's going to be a young uh, a young guy that can produce, I mean Ellis Brooks is probably as good of a bet as any of them. Um, you know, still still a lot of question marks in that redshirt freshman class, but you know Ellis Brooks is probably the guy that you look to as as the furthest along at this point. Okay, uh, this was a funny question. Can you break down the lion position? Should we be panicked that we're so thin there and our starter might transfer this offseason? Why don't we have more success recruiting the position given our recent on-field performance? Okay. For those of you who missed it, the lion position was added to Penn State's depth chart You know that was officially released for the Fiesta Bowl. And it has Tommy Stevens on there. It's a new position they created. Like the label I was just saying for Sam, whether you want to call it a linebacker or a defensive back, it doesn't matter. Because in my mind, this is a lot of fun to talk about, and Tommy Stevens is a fun player to watch. But this is um, it's it's meaningless. It's not meaningless. It's the lion position. He, There's a long tradition of lions <laughs> that have come through this program. Uh, at the yeah, lion position? At the lion position, yes. Um, is it just, you know. Okay, let me, let me say why it's meaningless. Okay. Tommy Stevens played 99 offensive snaps this year. Care to guess how many were in the two-quarterback package? I want to know how many you promised us he'd play, first of all. See, I was a fan of Tommy Stevens, but if you go back to our tail of the tape from week one, it said don't get excited about this because it's going to crop up mostly in the first three weeks when they're playing cupcakes, sorry, Pitt, and that'll be it. Okay. Okay, back to my original question. <laughs> I'll just think of more jokes in my head. 99 snaps. How many were he? was he sharing with Trace? 16. 21. Oh, Good guess. Not bad. Yeah. Um... Only th- or 13 of those came after week three. So you had eight in those first three against Cupcakes. Okay. And he sits for a number of games and then comes back against teams that you know primarily played zone-based defenses. But didn't see him against Michigan. Didn't see him against Ohio State. Didn't see him against Michigan State. So this is a great new position. And I get that the question was a joke. I appreciate that. I was well done, well crafted. But to me, this is just... Anything we can do to get Tommy Stevens to stay, because again, he is the best insurance policy in the Big Ten, perhaps in the country, then we want to do that. So he said he's willing to play defense or special teams. That was thrown out on media day. This line position was put down in print. It's all very nice. It's very good. He might play against Washington. Why the heck not? He's a lot of fun. But 
the line position, you know, I might as well invent one for myself and put me down in there in the depth chart and scribble it in a pen. What would your position be? Um, see, you initially passed up my question with the joke, so I, I would want to do the same. No joke is coming to me. But my, uh, I don't know, my position would be Cub, I guess. Okay. Maybe they'll put Micah Parsons as the backup line, <laughs> line in the spring. Um, yeah, I'm sure he would take that well. Would you like to be the backup for this made-up position? <laughs> hey, it's an honor. You know? Let me sign right now. Anyway, um, due to the early signing period, do you, how do you think the staff, staff will handle official visits uh, for top uncommitted targets going forward? Um, Penn State, obviously, last big visit weekend, uh, hosted Micah Parsons, Tyreek Smith, Rasheed Walker. Rasheed Walker looks like he's going to go the distance and sign in February. Parsons probably going to sign next week, and then we know what happened with Smith. Um, so is this, I think it's a double-edged sword because you've got a guy like Walker and that's the guy I'm going to be talking about in this hypothetical Walker, you want to get in and make a great first impression, but you also want to balance and potentially have the last visit. And with the 20, December 20th signing period, there was, you know, a little bit, there was a chance that he was going to sign in the 20th. So you want to get him in as early as possible. Um, but now it looks like he's going to go in fe- in, all the way into February. He's going to visit Ohio State in January, which is something nobody wants on Penn State side of things. So um, I think they still continue to try and get them up. Having them, uh, you know, having these guys come in with all the official visitors, all the commits and, and whatnot, I, I, it probably has a bigger deal. You know, it's, it, it probably has a bigger impact than, than anything else. Unless there's a guy that basically says, hey, I'm going to go the distance uh, I'm not going to take any visits in December. I want to, you know, clear this first signing period and then focus on my recruitment in January. Um, that was a guy I thought Tyler Friday was going to do that, but all of a sudden he started cropping up. Uh, you know, checked out Michigan. He's, you know, I think he was at Alabama over the weekend. Mm-hmm. He's going to see some other schools, and and if he doesn't sign in December, Penn, Penn State's potentially one of those schools. Um, so you know, it's it, it's sort of you know, danged if you do, danged if you don't, because it's a it's a situation I don't think there's any right answer because these kids can turn on a dime. To me, the last visit is always the most important one. So, you know, throwing it out there in early December, I have questions about. But at the same time, you know, you're not going to get that commit experience at, you know, late in January. So I can see it going both ways. I think the staff is going to stick to what they did. That, that's my only thought on this because this, you know, as much as it's a new dynamic here for this cycle, they've been able to think about this and prepare for it for a number of months right. because this was always known that this was coming up. So for them, I think you all all the value that you had in, in the previous setup with having them come late, surrounded by the other commits, is still there because the other part is okay. I'm, you know, as again, the question is about you know some of these top targets might not. Um, sign until February. Well, who's to say they wouldn't change their mind? If right. you have that great of a visit and you're in late and they're saying, hey, we're all coming back, we're signing next week, come and join us, and they say, do it. Well, you were, you know, another school that said, okay, we'll, we'll get them a little bit later, get them in January, you're screwed. And these schools, I mean, th- these kids that went on visits this weekend, that, that school's saying, hey, let's get you in on Wednesday. Let's, let's yeah. sign on Wednesday. That'd be great. You know? Right, right. But, um, you know, so I think it, it, it goes both ways. I think they'll I, stick with the plan. Yeah, and, and before Penn State would host their big official visit weekend, sort of January 23rd that weekend, um, you know, with the change in signing periods, that obviously had to shift forward because, you know, you want to show these guys what they're signing with in December before you bring them in. And a lot of these guys know. I mean, it's official visits are formality for, you know, three quarters of the kids that take them. Um, coming back into January, you're not going to fit, you're not going to host too many guys. I mean, you, 
you're maybe bringing Tyler Friday. Solomon Enos has already taken his visit. Rashid Walker's already taken his visit. You're bringing a guy like Jahan Dotson, maybe, um, or you know, just a, another guy that you might take a late flyer on. And and then of course there's the three other commits that haven't taken their official visit yet. So they're going to be few and far between. When you get a, a a weekend with 18 guys or 17 guys or whatever they had, um, it's so much easier to organize it, and your presentations are going to be better. Your your interactions with them are going to be better. The, the, the planned events and everything like that are going to be better. So you know, it's almost like and and assuming all these guys are committed, it's almost the that bigger is better in the situation. Okay. I want to circle back to the second question because I know what position I would have and what it would be named. Boy, it's been that was the smoke that I, I saw coming out of your ears. No, no, well, okay. Anyway, go on. Mufasa. Mufasa. Yeah. Wow. Why Mufasa, Andrew? Do I really have to explain this to you? Can Not we let really. the joke sit? Well, all right, that's fine. <laughs> you, Mufasa. You have bedtime written all over your face right now. Let me say. Well, it's it's late on a Sunday. Talk a lot about recruiting, and it should be a should be a long week. I mean, first ever December signing period for uh, for high school kids. It's going to be exciting. I don't think there's going to be too much drama. I mean, Michael Parsons will announce 945 on Wednesday morning. Penn State's set to sign 19 of their 20 current commits. Shaquan Anderson-Butt's going to sign in February, uh, he tells us. So um, it, it, it should be pretty standard for, for a first ever that we've never experienced before. Well, since listeners are stuck around this long, let's give them a little bit more of a preview for this week. Um, we're going to have positional breakdowns, not only just get to know the kids, where they rank within the class, but also our thinking with respect to next year's depth chart and where they will fit in. Because I think, again, with all the losses Penn State's going to have, there's a lot of room here and a lot of production to be replaced. So how many of these kids, beyond the obvious of a Justin Shorter or perhaps a Micah Parsons, could contribute in 2018? We'll have that. I'll have a lot more, again, from Media Day, talking with Ricky Ronnie, speaking about Phil Galliano. Um, again, some of the offensive changes that they're going to make. And then also, again, we talked about Vita Bay. He's coming out of him on, on Saturday. So a lot coming this week on the site that's not only you know going to be breaking and, and produced as it comes, but stuff that's set up to lead to right into Christmas, and then right after, it'll be festival. Yeah. Yeah, and the good thing about this week is you're at work and you don't want to be at work. So you should be on the website <laughs> reading everything that we're doing because we're doing a ton of stuff because, you know, we don't want to be at work either. So we're, we're just going to write a bunch of stuff and then post it for you to read. Right. And then we'll be back in this space on Thursday. We're going to try to crank one out uh, Wednesday night. We will be back at some point this week. We are not going to. That's smart because yeah. I'm, I'm feeling like the face I'm seeing now after 11 o'clock on a Sunday might make the same recurrence or reappearance like seven on Wednesday because that's going to be a long day. Yeah. Wednesday's going to be a long day, but it's going to be a productive day. So uh, hopefully you will join us on the site. Um, hopefully you join us in the next podcast whenever that way it may be. May have a few special guests or whatnot, but uh, yeah, it should be exciting. Thanks for joining us on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Oh,